On behalf of the Sullivan family, let me thank you for your presence today. It's a testimony to them of what Mark meant to each of you. We're grateful for that show of support and love. Psalm 23.4 is a verse of scripture that has been dear to the hearts of God's people times like this, where the psalmist David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And at times like this, you may not always feel the presence of the Lord, but his word tells us he is there. He is here. And so by faith, we cling to that. Before we begin our service this morning with a word of prayer, I want to just remind us of four purposes of a funeral briefly so that we're intentional, all of us, wherever we are in life. Our first purpose at a gathering like this is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to thank God for the hope that he gives beyond the grave. Death is not the end because Jesus Christ came alive out of the grave on the morning of the third day. And so we're here to lift up the Lord Jesus and thank God for the hope that he gives, a passage of scripture that has been very dear to the Sullivans through this time and one that Mark would remind them of even in his sickness. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Another reason for a funeral service like this is to honor the memory of the one who has passed away. I just want to tell everyone here today, you are preaching your own funeral by the way you live. What you've done with Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then how you live as a child of God. You're preaching your own funeral. You're giving a pastor at some point in the future material that he's going to formulate into a message. And so I want you to say we're here to honor or understand we're here to honor the memory of Mark Sullivan. Mark Sullivan was one of the best men I ever knew. A man of God, a man who loved his family, a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, a man who loved the church. And so in a sense, if I can say it this way, through the way that he lived, he makes it easy in a sense to preach his funeral. In your bulletin, you have these two verses, Psalm 37, 23, and 24, that so well characterize the life of Mark Sullivan. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, and I believe this is referring to the Lord, he, the Lord, delighteth in his way. It brings joy to God's heart when people follow his way. Verse number 24, though he fall, and boy, Mark experienced some physical sickness, but he was not utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 4 through 8, the family wanted me to share this because it was such a picture of the kind of love that Mark showed. The Apostle Paul says this as he gives that great description of love, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Mark's one of the most selfless men I ever met. 
He's not easily provoked. He thinketh love, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And so we gather to thank God and to lift up Christ. We gather to honor the memory of Mark Sullivan. We gather to his friends, bring comfort to a grieving family. Becky shared with me this morning what an encouragement it was to her to look out the window and see the mountains and be reminded of Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my strength. My strength cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. But the best comfort is the Lord himself and the scripture and the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. And so let's as friends pray this for Becky and the family, for divine comfort that only God can give. Then Ecclesiastes, and I'll not turn there, but Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, and then verse number 8, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, at the end of his life looked back, and he said this, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Let that soak in for a bit. Why would that be the truth? Because one of the reasons that Solomon gives for that is because it causes all of us who are here to take note of our own lives and realize there's a day coming when this will be your funeral. And what you've done with Jesus Christ will be the determining factor where you spend eternity. And have you lived your life for the Lord as a believer? And that's why Solomon said in verse number 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And so this is a time for us as friends and as family to just think the sobering thought, there's a day coming when this will be my funeral. It'll be my mortal remains in a casket. My work for Christ will be finished and the question will be answered, have I done my best for Jesus who did so much for me? And so with these purposes in mind, let's pray. Father. come before you with sorrowful hearts, but we thank you that according to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, that because Mark was a believer and so many of us in this room know Christ as Savior, that though we sorrow, we sorrow not as those which have no hope. I thank you for the hope that we have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he paid our sin debt on a cross and he did not stay in the grave. And as the songwriter said years ago, beyond the cross is a tomb that is empty. You won't find Jesus there anymore. And because he lives, he told us his disciples that we shall live also. So in that hope we gather. I pray for comfort, that only you can give divine comfort, words of comfort, and a sense of your presence and in faith, knowing that even when I may not feel your presence, the word tells me that you are there. So we thank you for the reality of this today. And God, I pray that each heart would be ministered to, that the Spirit of God through the Word of God would talk to every heart that is here today, that we would do business with you, even as we exalt Christ and honor Mark's memory and seek to comfort the family. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we're going to sing together.
Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me if you want to use your hymn book, if it's there in the pew in front of you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And so let's hear that sound again. Judson's going to come and lead us in three verses. Hymn number 336, you may be, remain seated. Let's just sing the first, the fourth, and the last verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's sing it on the fourth. said that the measure of a man is seen in the friends that he has and then beyond that long-term friends into the family has asked David McGarity not only a long-term friend but business partner and probably more friend than anything over many years to come and say some words about Mark so David you can um when Becky asked me to um, speak here today, um, I replied to her that it, was going to, it would be an honor because Mark was my friend. And I think so many times we live life and we, we don't think back and realize what that means to be a friend. We don't look back at where it all started and where it came from. And and I did that almost immediately when, when I heard the news. I started thinking about Mark, and I realized what a unique relationship Mark and I had. Now, many of you may know, have known people all of your lives, but how many of you get to grow up with someone, um, just share so much time with someone, end up working together. From we, Mark and I worked together for 30 days. I mean, I'm sorry, 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. And I actually, um, I mentioned to Becky, I, I said, you know, waking hours, Mark and I probably spent more time together than you and he <laughs> did. <laughs> um, but I, th I think that's a very unique situation 
that you are you are so close to that close to someone for so long and the Lord almost immediately laid a verse on my heart and that's in James chapter 2 verse 18 it says yea a man may say thou hast faith and I have works show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works And we know clearly from Scripture that our salvation comes from faith in Jesus and not our works. But Mark's life showed his faith through his works, and no one can doubt that. I just want to give you a little history with Mark and I, just to help you understand um, you know, how close we were and um, just give you my perspective on Mark. Um, we started out, I met Mark when he was in elementary school. We were going to church together. We were going to school together. Um, we both went to Grace Baptist Church in Landrum, and we were going to Grace Christian School there um, together. Now, early on in junior high, I was probably closer to Luke. Luke and I were closer in age. Uh, we, we were good friends. We were, we were talking before. You know, we used to ride to school together. Um, we used to... Uh, just do things together. His um, mother was active. She was known for her sewing and uh, just how, how she helped people out. Um, you know, we, we went to Sunday school together. We went to church together. Um, Mark and Luke and Leah's father, I remember him teaching me Sunday school before. So um, that, that's how far back we go. And um, you know, during those school years, Mark, you know, I knew Mark, but we weren't really close at that time. Like I said, I was close, closer to Luke, and Mark was the little brother, and, and Leah was the little tag-along sister there. <laughs> um, but but our, we lived probably less than two miles from each other, so we, we, we really did grow up together. Um, but several years later, we, we had the biggest... Um, change in our lives. I'd gone off to college and had finished college and come back and Mark had Mark was three years younger than me but uh, he had gone off and taken some classes but he had come back as well and when I moved back to the area you know our, our church wasn't huge um, but we had a um, college and career class which was Mark and I and just a couple others at the time. Luke I think was, had already headed towards the Navy. I could be wrong on my times there, but, um, but, <laughs> yeah, um, there were four young ladies that were coming from Bob Jones University on extension, and, you know, that was perfect timing for me to come back. <laughs> um, when I got there, the first thing I heard was, uh, Becky has already claimed the, the organ player. <laughs> Which, in case you didn't know, that was Mark. Uh, and my wife, Julie, was one of those uh, young ladies as well. She was, she was <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, during those years, those, when we were together there, um, you know, we, we did all those fun things that young people did. We even took a trip. Uh, my mother-in-law reminded me of this this morning, down to Florida. And um, it was Mark and Becky and Ju- we stayed with Julie's family, and Leah went along on that trip as well. We, we went to Disney World. Um, 
we did whatever you do in Florida. You go to the beach and, and, and just enjoy the nice weather down there. But um, you know, that, that was one of the things we did together. And I was the first one t- to make the official move. I asked Julie to marry me. And in 1992, we, get, we got married. Um, and I asked Mark to be in our wedding. He was one of the groomsmen. Um, funny story on Mark. Um, on the night of the rehearsal dinner, uh, we were doing the rehearsal, and Mark wasn't there. And we were waiting, and we were, this is before cell phones, so we, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on, and we waited, and, and he just never showed up to the, to the rehearsal. So we went ahead, and you know, we, we didn't know anything, so we went ahead and did the rehearsal without him, and uh, he finally showed up, I think, about in time for the dinner, after we'd already done all the practice. And... <laughs> Apparently, he was running late and uh, ended up running into the ditch and got stuck in a ditch on the way there. And um, if you know Mark, he was usually driving fast, running late, uh, (laughs) trying to take all the shortcuts. But um, the funny thing is, though, uh, is one of the um, other groomsmen, his name was Steve Lee, who many of you know... um, Went, to be, went home to be with the Lord just last year. When Mark got there, he told him, now, Mark, here's what you're supposed to do. You're going to take the American flag, and it's, the ceremony is going to start with the national anthem. And you're going to march right down front. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Steve, Steve was a trickster. He, he had Mark going for a little bit, but uh, had he tried that, Julie probably would have killed him <laughs> but, but um, that that was I don't know our wedding that was one of the the fondest memories I have there but um, so it, it took took Mark in another year to um, to finally um, ask Becky to marry him now I will say he was three years younger than me so technically he did it earlier than I did <laughs> But it was almost a year later, we, um, we drove out to Iowa. Mark asked me to be in the wedding, in his wedding, as one of the groomsmen. And uh, we drove out to Iowa. And remember, it, we got married on June 20th of 92. They got married June 18th of 93. So um, we're out there. Uh, we, they got married. And we're in Iowa, headed back. And it's, it's our anniversary um, on the way back, and a market asked me, "Can you take Leah back to to the Carolinas?" So, you know, we had planned on getting back actually before our anniversary, but traffic ended up being really bad. We ended up getting stopped in Tennessee, and uh, we ended up spending our first anniversary with Leah. <laughs> so, um, I'll always remember that as well. But like I, like I said, Leah. Leah was the tag-along little sister, <laughs> but um, but you know we we got uh, married there. We then you know we still did things as couples. There was other couples in the church that we did so many things with, and just you know had so much fellowship. And then um, then you know when the children start to come. You know, relationships, not really relationships, but the time you have available changes, and your lives change. But I do remember when um, 
when they were when Becky was expecting Christopher, um, you know, he was the first one of our two families to come along. And Mark and Becky, they have a, a propensity to push things to the limit. And I think the doctor told Becky she needed to rest. So, you know, right before Christopher's due, they said, well, if we're going to rest, we're going to go do it at the beach six hours away. <laughs> and, and Becky did go in labor when they were at the beach. <laughs> and um, I, they called us and, you know, said, we're headed back. And they made it all the way to Raleigh. Um, and that's where Christopher was born. And I remember we had to go and get the car seat and clothes and, and take them there to Raleigh. And, you know, just what a blessing, blessing that was to, to help them. So, um, you know, we, we had those experiences together. And we helped each other. With our, you know, we were always working on our houses, um, doing renovations, fixing up, whatever. And... Um, one thing I, I remember, Mark was insulating his attic, and he rented one of those machines where you blow in the insulation. And um, I had a pickup truck at the time, so, he's, so I went to help him pick up. They came in these little bales that you dumped into the machine, and we, we had them stacked up pretty high on my little S10 pickup. And we were going down 26, and I noticed a couple bales fell off the truck. And, and we pulled over really quick. This was... You know, 30 years ago, so 26 was not as busy as it is today, but uh, we were, and there was a couple bales out in the road, and it was just over the crest of a hill, and a car came over the hill and hit one of those bales, and it was poof. <laughs> uh, it pro probably scared that driver to death, and then, and then another car came and hit the other one, <laughs> and, and we just looked at each other and said, we need to get out of here. <laughs> But, but um, yeah. the, those are the, the fun things that you remember. Um, you know, about that time um, that, that Mark and Be Becky got married, um, I was looking for a job. Mark was working at Horizon CNC Products uh, there in Greer, and um, they had an opening. And I had a job that was not fun, and, and he knew I didn't like it. And he, he asked me, he said, hey, we've got an opening. Do you want to come uh, work over here? So I yeah, said, so where do I sign up? And I went and I started out working in shipping there. And that was the start of Mark and I working together, like I said, for 30 years, not 30 days. But, um, you know, we worked close every day. And um, Mark was one of the hardest working people that I have ever met in my life. I don't think... You know, I've really ever met anyone that could compare. He was, he, it's like he had no limits. Um, unfortunately, he was incredibly, for his sake, he was incredibly smart and could never get away from work. Um, he always had a computer. Um, he would, I know when my kids would go over visit, they would say, oh, well, he falls asleep on the couch with the computer in his lap because he would work all night long. And Part of that was because Mark just couldn't let go of things. He, when he would do something, he wanted to make sure it got done. Yes. And um, you know, he was that diligent. And you know, I know Becky did not enjoy the, vac the vacations as much as she could have because he was always working. He, he was so connected to work that um, 
We really couldn't operate when he was gone. Um, we, we tried really hard to get him to stop, and Becky probably blamed us, but, but, but um, he, was, he was always working. Um, you know, our kids were raised together. Um, they, they probably felt more like cousins than friends. Um, you know, they were all, always over at each other's house. Um, also, you know, means we didn't ever have any secrets between us either. Um, I know one time I, I heard that this got back to me almost right away when they got back from a trip. Um, the Sullivans were going to Carowinds, and they invited Claudia and Benjamin to go with them. And um, they, were get, they got in the van, and Mark pulled out his laptop. And if you know Mark, if you've ever ridden with him, Mark drove distracted. <laughs> um, you know, people today, you know, you talk about texting and driving. Mark had a laptop in his <laughs> seat. And, and they were getting ready to go, and Mark pulled out the laptop. And, the, and my daughter Claudia told me this. She said, Miss Becky said, Mark, put that away. There are other people's children in the car. <laughs> so, so, like I said, we never had any secrets between us. Um, but one thing I do, do know is that Mark loved his family. Um, Becky and I were having a discussion. I don't know, time runs together. It was probably a couple of years ago, but uh, she, was, she was saying that when they go on vacation... Mark gets out his computer and just plans the whole trip and fills every minute with something to do. He, he never wanted to miss anything. She said, sometimes I would like to take a nap. <laughs> but, 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 you know, that's, that's the way Mark lived his life. Um, if, you look, if, if you just nonchalantly looked at Mark, you, you would think he was a procrastinator. But Mark was not a procrastinator. He tried to fill every minute with something. It was, and he also never knew how to say no, and um, he always wanted to help people, and you know he never missed those opportunities. Uh, even when he would go on, talking about his love for family, even when he would go on work trips, he would generally plan them to go, like up to the Richmond area where he had the opportunity to see Luke, or they would see Becky's family there, or he would go to Houston to see Leah and her family there. And we knew he didn't plan those trips to go for the work trips. He, he planned them to go see family. And that, that was just a big um, part of his life. Mark and I also served in church together for many years. Um, I, I just want to list some of the things that Mark did in church. He played the organ. Uh, he worked in children's ministries. He drove the church bus. He was a church treasurer. He was a church IT guy. And he was a deacon in the church. And, that was, and, you know, you say, oh, you know, well, he did those things over a long period of time. Mark did all those at once. <laughs> you, know, you, you hear the stories about how, you know, 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Mark tried to do 80% by himself. <laughs> that, that's, that's just the way he was. And, you know, we had some really good times working in the children's ministries together. Um, Julie and I were talking about one time uh, he brought Julie and Joan Bridges were the secretaries I think we were doing Awanas back then he brought a stack of 500 pumpkins to them and said they they were like rewards for saying verses that night he said "Um, can you cut these out for me so they said okay 
Ten minutes later, Mark comes back. Are you done? <laughs> and and th- that's, you know, the, he was used to how hard he works. I think Joan Bridges said, Mark, if you could cut out pumpkins that fast, I want you working in my peach orchards. <laughs> but, um, you know, we had some great times. We went on some camping trips together with, you know, 10 to 12-year-old boys, which those were an adventure. Um, I can remember, those were some fond times, though, going with, it was Mark and I and Ricky Searcy and Don Stanfield. Uh, we'd go on those trips, and, you know, it, it was always an adventure. Mark was usually um, responsible for bringing the food, and he would go to Sam's Club. Mark had a special relationship with Sam's Club. <laughs> we, we usually ate for weeks after those camping trips. So, you know, those were just some of the good ministries there. And, you know, with exception... He, that's when I was talking about at Grace, with the exception of probably playing the organ, he, I'm sure he did all that here at, at Crossroads as well. Um, and you know, God just used him in so many ways because he was he was available. Um, another big step in our lives came in in 2009. Mark and I had worked at Horizon CNC for um, probably I think it was around 16 years together and. If you remember 2008, 2009, those, those were tough times. And um, the company that we'd worked for ended up closing. Um, the bank ended up foreclosing on that company. And the bank actually hired Mark and myself and Jeff Arnold to actually close down that company. And you know, those, at that time, nobody was hiring. Uh, we... Um, we're looking for jobs while we were doing that, and we were, were not having any luck. And God prompted Mark to come to Jeff initially um, and say you know, about starting our own company. You know, we had been doing this for years. We, we knew how everything worked. And, um, you know, God, God prompted Mark, and he responded. And he went to Jeff, and they came to me, and, you know, we thought, it's probably a crazy idea, but, but let's look into this. And, you know, we asked, we talked to some people, asked for advice. We talked to Harry Clement. He gave us some advice. And, um, you know, we prayed about it. I can, th- I can remember, we, first of all, we went to Jeff and Lisa's house, Jeff and Lisa Arnold's house, to pray about it. Then we took a trip to our house to pray about it. Then we took a trip to Mark and Becky's house to pray about it. We, did, we put a lot of prayer into that. And so finally we decided we were going to go ahead with it, and we went to the banker that was selling the equipment from the old company, and, and he was really willing to work with us, which we were surprised. And um, Becky's dad was going to loan us some money. Jeff's mother loaned us some money. Uh, we cashed in our IRAs, and um, you know, but it still wasn't enough. And... Um, when you look back on things, you see things that could only be God. Amen. Amen. And, and you think back in 2009, nobody was lending money. So we were going to have to go to a bank and ask for money. And the three of us didn't have jobs. <laughs> and, you know, when you think about it, it was really kind of crazy that we would even go ask. And we, and we got rejected the first couple of times. But the Lord directed us to, to a banker that found a program that would help us out. And they loaned us the money to get started in a time where no one was being loaned money. 
and much less three guys that didn't have a job. <laughs> and we just, you know, saw the Lord uh, work through all of that. And, you know, at the time we were, we were just, you know, so awestruck at everything that was going on. Um, but we did feel and see God working in that. And, and we think over the years the different opportunities God's given us through that company. You know, it wasn't always easy. Uh, thing, things were tough. But it gave us so many opportunities. First of all, to give the gospel. Um, you know, we would have uh, Christmas parties every year. And, you know, the first few years, uh, Jeff and Mark and I would uh, take the opportunity to, to tell the Christmas story and tell what it meant. And, um, you know, as things went on, we started asking our pastors. Pastor Dietrich came and did one of our Christmas parties. Um, now, Mark really loved Christmas. And um, there was one year, we financially, it wasn't a really good year. And I told Mark, I, we can't afford to take everyone out to dinner this year. And, um, you know, he just came and gave me that look like, yeah, we're, we're going to have a Christmas party. And so that... That year, Becky and Julie and Lisa, I think, ended up making lasagna. And that was the year Pastor Vance was supposed to preach. So we had it at our church. And um, so, you know, no matter what, we were going to have a Christmas party. Um, so that's one thing you can always hold over Pastor Vance. That I believe when you went, Pastor Dietrich, we went to the Peddler Steakhouse. <laughs> so, so you'll be able to hold that over him. But... Um, you know, that was an opportunity we had every year. We had opportunities to support mission trips, to um, sent to, um, and we gave to missionaries on the field. Those are things that this, the business allowed us to do, and it allowed us to be a blessing to others, and Mark especially. Um, Mark would, in the mornings, he would come in early, he would go around and just talk to people. Now, people that hadn't been there long would think um, he was just, doing that to, um, you know, spy on them, see what they're doing. But that wasn't Mark. Mark wanted to know what was going on in their lives. And, um, you know, when, when a newborn baby would come, he and Becky would go visit them and take them a basket. Um, you know, he, he made loans to people that were struggling. And um, sometimes knowing that, you know, he wasn't going to get paid back. I don't even know if Becky knows that. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, <laughs> um, when, we, when we would go to ball games, um, you know, Mark would, he didn't watch the ball game. He would go around to every family, hold their babies, and just see how they were doing. And it was, it was just such a blessing to work with him. Um, and sometimes, you know, you really know how good a friend is when, when you're under stress. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, Mark, Mark and Jeff and I, I could say we never really had an argument. We had some passionate discussions. but We didn't always agree on things. Um, but we always worked it out. And, but when you're comfortable enough to have those passionate discussions, that, that's when you know that those are your real friends. Um, you know, Mark was always fun to work with. He was, he was an optimist. Well, to call Mark an optimist is like calling Michael Jordan just a basketball player. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, 
he had a reputation at work for, you know, I, I was the accounting guy. I would give the real numbers. Mark would inflate them by usually one and a half times. <laughs> um, that's just the way he was. Um, you know, he, like I said before, he, he could never tell anyone no. And, and when the customers would call, I got to have this. Um, you know, we, we would usually, Michelle would answer the phone. No, I'm sorry, we can't do that. You know, five minutes later, Mark's phone would ring. And then Mark would say, hey, we're, we're going to have to work some overtime this week. And um, his, his phrase that he always used, uh, Jeff, Jeff could always do it well, is, I think we can do it. And it always, it always said that with a smile at the end. Because whenever we heard, I think we can do it, we knew things were going to get tough. <laughs> um, and, and usually it ended up with Mark working all night long. And, you know, I would, I would tell Mark, you know, we have rules here. You're not allowed to work here by yourself. And, you know, initially it was, oh, that's okay. Chris is going to work with me. Or later it was, okay, Braden's going to work with me. And, you know, he always made sure that, it, that it, things were going to get done. And he was fun to work with. He, he always had joy in his life. Um, I'm going crazy with the stories here, but um, you know, if you know Mark, he drove really fast, um, and he he pushed his little Honda Fit as far as it would go. Well, one day, for some reason, one of his cars was in the shop, and they gave him a rental car, and he drives to work in a red Camaro, and, and he says, "We're going to lunch today," and um, I said, "Okay," and then. He invited several in the office. There were five of us that were going to lunch. If you've ever seen a Camaro, they comfortably hold two people. <laughs> there, there were five of us in that Camaro. And I just remember my face being plastered. <laughs> and the whole time, Mark is laughing. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was never in a bad mood, and he was always joyful. Um, you know, and, you know, it was so nice to work with somebody like that. You know, like I said, we had those passionate discussions, but we always had a clear conscience because we always made things right. Um, and Mark's compassion, it came from his love for his Savior. And, and it just went to everyone. It was real. And I, I know I've told a lot of stories, and I've gone way longer than I intended to today. But I just wanted you to know, how well I know Mark, and when someone that spent as much time with Mark as I did, and I still, I'm still standing up here and saying his love and his compassion for others is real. Yes. I just I want you to know that I mean that. So if you're someone that Mark showed compassion to, uh, I want you to know that that was genuine love. Uh, he wanted you to know that Jesus loves you, and that you can have that same joy and strength if your faith is in Christ as well. Um, you know, Mark just put everything into his life. I mean, he, he, he never took it easy anywhere. He, you know, he had such passion and joy and energy. And it wasn't just in his family. It wasn't just at work. It wasn't just at church. It was all the time. And that tells you how real it was. And Chris and Kerrigan and Braden and Kylie, I want you to know 
that your father did it right, that he gave you a wonderful example of how a Christian should live. And I really don't know anyone how you could do it better. I, I really don't. And uh, in Galatians 5, it tells us what is supposed to show in our lives. And in verse 22, it says, But of the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's Mark Sullivan right there. Um, you know, a couple years ago, Mark talked about, you know, slowing down. He, he talked about wanting to go on some mission trips. You know, he said, you know, we, we started, you know, we told him things are going to have to change. And, you know, that was our goal. We were going to start, you know, slowing down there in the business. And, you know what, mission trips are great. And they give you an opportunity to be a blessing. It gives you an opportunity to be blessed. But the truth is, Mark's whole life was a mission trip. Every day, he was showing Christ to everyone by the way he lived. And, you know, our challenge for Mark should be to do our very best where God has put us. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort to do it like Mark did. But Mark showed us that it could be done. And, you know, that's a big challenge. Um, but, you know, if Mark was standing right here today, he would say, I think we can do it. <laughs> If you know John 3.16, let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Only eternity will record how many young people learned that verse in Mark and Becky Sullivan's Sunday school and children's ministry classes. And Becky has a special request. If at any time, I don't care how old you are now, you, th there's no grandfathering out of this one, okay? If you were ever at any time over the past several decades at Grace Baptist Church or Crossroads Baptist Church under Mark and Becky Sullivan in a children's ministry, children's church, Sunday school class, would you stand right now? I don't, just stand right where you are. lives that have been touched. Now, this is Becky's request. This is not my request. Okay? Hymn number 336, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And uh, Becky has requested that you all write from where you are. We're not going to make you come up here on the platform. Okay? So there's some relief for you. But Becky has asked that all of you write where you are at the top of your lungs the best you can. Nobody's grading you on this today. Okay? To sing the first... In the last verse, hymn number 626, Jesus loves me. You all sing it for us, Jensen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the men's ensemble to come at this time. Uh, I think we have eight guys are going to be making their way to the platform. However, you can get here. Judson, you can go and get these mics up and ready. Becky requested this song, My Hope is Jesus. And I just want you to know, I don't know where you are. If you're sitting here today and you got a question mark over your heart about where you'll spend eternity, and you hear David mentioning the gospel, Brother Godfrey will mention it. I'm going to mention it briefly here in just a moment. And you've, there's a question mark over your heart about where you'll spend eternity. I want you to know your hope is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. And this is a song that will bless your heart. So. Yeah. 
salvation, on Christ I will depend. My hope is Jesus. My hope is Jesus. My hope is time, friend and former pastor, Dr. J.B. Godfrey, is going to come and speak about Mark. Well, the devil says to people, become a Christian and you'll never have any fun again. You know, that's probably the biggest lie that's ever been spread. And already just the time we spent together in this service shows that it, it is a lie. Real joy and real peace and real satisfaction and wonderful families. The world says do this, but what they'll give you is destruction and ruin. And Christ gives you a wonderful life. One of the greatest challenges in life is people. <laughs> uh, when I was pastor at Grace, we built uh, several buildings, but we built a new building in my office. Uh, the Christian, the contractor was a Christian. I said, I want a door over there so I can get outside without going through the office. He said, well, why you can go? I said, I want a door over there because if there's certain people out there in the office, I'm not going that way. <laughs> One of the challenges in life is people. My pastor and I over in near Chattanooga, we had a meal together just the other day, and he was asking some questions into my advice, and I said, Pastor, my advice to you is the same I would give to many people. Be patient with people, because God's patient with us. Amen. And I think about those early days at Grace Baptist Church and Grace Christian School. You know, I hate to say this, but I could have been, I was, I'm old enough to have been Mark's father. Little and I have a, we have five children. Our oldest is 52 years old. And we were headed to Africa, but before we went, they let our oldest, he was just a little boy then, they let him go to, go to school early because we were going to leave and go to France and then on to Africa. So he was in those early days at Grace Christian School with Steve Lee and Mark and Luke and that whole crowd, and the Seavers, Jason Seavers. Now, Jason wouldn't mind me telling this about him. Because Linda and I had the privilege some months back to go to Alaska. But I remember uh, Jason, I remember Jason being pulled down the halls by the teacher by the ear. Because <laughs> he stayed in trouble all the time. And when I came back and became pastor, I said, you know, there's, there's not a spiritual bone in some of their bodies. <laughs> but evangelist Mike Pelletier came in, and then some others, some teachers, and they had a great influence. In that young guy that you look at him and say, boy, he's, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever succeed. But uh, he got saved and he surrendered his life and he went to Bible college and met a fine lady. And now he's got a great church out in the middle of, the, of Alaska. One of our greatest challenges in life is people. 
But the other truth is this. One of the greatest joys in life, people, what would we do without each other? That's why, listen to me, folks, that's why a local church is so important. That's where these couples met at church. Why don't you want to go to the bar to meet somebody? Why don't you want to go to wherever? We need each other. You read the Bible and you read Hebrews chapter 11. That's the faith chapter of the Bible. But you can't read that chapter without seeing several things. One, these were real people. They had their weaknesses. They had their problems. They were real people. They were imperfect people. And if you're waiting on finding the perfect one, good luck. I mean, in that those lists of heroes with Moses and and David and Paul and all of them, they were imperfect, just like we are. Uh, sinful people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's true of every one of us. But I thank God for people. And I think about the testimony we've already heard and being together even in this time. And without Mark and Becky and David and Julie and Luke and Lisa and Rod and Linda Seavers, and on and on I could go. Uh, Iron sharpens iron. We need to be together. At times like this, you know, in in this group today, there are multiple, and some of them young ladies whose husbands have gone to heaven in recent times. They need us. They need their church. They need a pastor. They need a Sunday school teacher. They need those things. I've known Mark and Luke and Lisa most of their lives. Our oldest son's 52. Mark was 52. Don't calculate how old that makes me, okay? (laughs) Becky, Mark and Luke and Lisa, I've known about all their lives. Now, Becky married into it, so that was a little bit later. And Lisa married into it. But... uh, they met in church. They served the Lord together. Mark, you've heard a lot about Mark already, and I'm not going to repeat a lot of that, but Mark was uh, quiet. I mean, I know he could be rambunctious, but mostly he, he didn't say an awful lot. He was quiet. He was smart. I think they, at Grace, they put him a grade ahead because he was too smart to do first grade. Uh, he was talented, talented musically. Don't you hate people that can do all those other things and then sit down at an organ and play and never miss a note? And they can preach and sing and do all of it. Mark was so talented with music and mechanically. And uh, Mark and Becky and the whole family. Preacher, don't you love to have a church full of people like this that all you had to say, would y'all, would y'all pray about doing Awanas? Or would you pray about doing Master Club? And you already heard he couldn't say no. And the preacher knows in the church who will jump in and get the job done. And I thank the Lord for people like that that have done so much. And patient. I know I know he drove fast and all of that. But you think about patience. Mark was patient when his mother was so ill. A lot of patience shown there. Uh, Mark had to be patient to marry a girl from Iowa. <laughs> We're the Sierra clan, okay? <laughs> and she had to be really patient to marry somebody from North Carolina, too. But anyway, 
Becky and Christopher and Kerrigan and Braden and Kylie, our girls baby, with their babysitters. And when we think about them, they're not supposed to be grown, married and all that. They're, they're still little in our minds, but we love all of you. Mark set a good example. Uh, you don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or a teacher to serve the Lord. Amen. And we, we preachers are glad for people in our churches who haven't been called to preach, but they love the Lord. And I love each one of you. I'm praying for you. Follow the path that your father and your husband and brother and somebody, follow that path he set before us. Speaking of the path, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And Heatherly McGarity is going to come and sing that, and then we'll look into the word of final time. My dad has pastored for 50 plus years and he was raised in a generation while this was not a blanket characterization but where 
Sometimes pastors were counseled not to develop close relationships or friendships with the people they pastored. And um, I'm glad that my dad taught me not to follow that. Because I can say as a pastor of this church that some of the best friends that I have on the planet attend Crossroads Baptist Church. Probably once every couple of months, I would get a text on my phone from Mark, and he'd say, Pastor, I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm grateful for your friendship. I know there are a few of us pastors in the room this morning. Let me tell you something. That is like cold waters to a thirsty soul when a pastor gets a message like that. As David kind of scared me a bit when he said that uh, Mark, as the optimist, would inflate the numbers after he had the real numbers. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking Mark was our treasure for 10 years. (laughs) Maybe there's some things we don't need to know, right? I know better than that. Every year, we have an auditor come in and audit our books. And can I just use the terminology we passed with flying colors every year? There'd be a few little things the auditor would say, hey, tweak this for next year, tweak that for next year. I did a little tallying in my head. I think Mark was our treasure for 10 years, and that's 120 monthly reports. He was good at numbers. I'm not very good at numbers. And I will tell you as a pastor, a good church treasurer is worth their weight in gold. Especially in a day of need for greater accountability. He was good at numbers, good at accounting, good at QuickBooks, good at Membership Plus. But as I think about Mark and his accounting as it relates to business, church, family, Really, that ministry was a microcosm of all of his life. He was a man of integrity, a man of responsibility. But as we think about business accounting, church accounting, I want you to understand as we bring this to a conclusion here this morning or this afternoon, more important than any of those other avenues where accounting is so important. Mark Sullivan had settled his accounts with God. So I want you to think about the word accounting with me in these final few moments. Mark Sullivan had settled his accounts with the Lord as it related to his eternal soul. As a boy, He came to realize the truths of Romans chapter number 3 and many other passages of Scripture that communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. The reason we call it good news is because it's preceded by bad news. The bad news is that all of us are sinners separated from God. There's nothing that any of us can do to save ourselves. No amount of good works, church membership, ordinances, charitable giving, moral living, none of those. That's that's not the currency that gets a person into heaven, if I can say it that way. 
Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes these words, For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Your life, my life, has a debit account and a credit account. And in that debit account, all of us, because of our sin, are in deep debt to God. Insurmountable. Okay. And Mark realized that. Verse number 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse number 21 of Romans 3, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, get this, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. In other words, if, if that debit account is going to be settled, something has to be put into it that none of us here has the capacity to put into it, and that is the righteousness that God accepts. It doesn't come by the law. It doesn't come by good works. Paul said that righteousness comes by the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took my debt, took your debt, and paid for it full, free, and clear on a cross 2,000 years ago. And therefore offers for us what Paul here calls justification, that is the declaration of righteousness. In other words, I was in debt to God by my sin. I couldn't pay it. Jesus offered his perfect righteousness, paid my sin debt on the cross, offered his perfect righteousness, and his righteousness was put on my account, and the debt was paid. Canceled. And as a boy, Mark recognized that. How do you enter into that? Paul simply says it's by faith. Over in chapter number 4, Verse number three, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and here's our word, it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so is it related to his eternal soul. Mark, with his love of numbers and accounting, his old account was settled long ago, and his record is clear today, for Jesus washed his sins away. And so, you know, I don't have to think what Mark would want. I know what Mark wants. If you're sitting here and you got that question mark over your heart and you wonder if your account is settled, let me tell you, your hope is Jesus. He paid the debt. And before you leave today, you can have that settled so that your account is paid for full, free, and clear. In Romans chapter number 14, I notice another way that Mark's Account was right with God. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, 11, and 12. The Apostle Paul is not addressing lost. He's addressing believers, saved people here. And he says in the middle of verse number 10, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment that believers have next on their time clock, if you would, is the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers will stand at what the Bible describes as the great white throne judgment. And I would trust that no one here would make the choice to reject Jesus Christ and stand at that judgment. But if you've trusted Christ as Savior, 
You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And it is only believers that will stand there. Paul would go on to say in verse number 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. In verse number 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So as believers, those of us who know Christ as Savior, we're going to stand at that judgment seat of Christ. And it will not be a question of our salvation that is called into judgment there. To be there means you had trusted Christ as Savior. It will be a question of your service. So as I think about Mark settling his accounts, he had settled his account as it related to his eternal soul. I can tell you, and we've heard multiple testimonies today, he was a man who had also settled his account with God as it related to his earthly service for Christ. I've known several men named Mark over the years. And several of them have joked and quoted Psalm 37, 37. Does anybody know Psalm 37, 37? Mark, the perfect man. That's not what it means, in case you're wondering. Okay, there's not a comma after Mark. It's the idea of identify the mature man. Behold the upright, for the way of that man is peace. I shared that with Becky the other day that I've had several friends named Mark and they'll tease about that Mark, the perfect man. She immediately said to me, but Mark would have never said that about himself. And she is exactly right. Mark wasn't perfect. He would have been the first to say so, but I will say this about Mark Sullivan, he was faithful. Proverbs 20, verse number 6. I've meditated on this verse much over the last few days as I thought about Mark Sullivan's life. Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And I want you to know we've found one. A faithful man. By the way, that's what God requires in our earthly service. Moreover, it's required in all stewards that a man be found Faithful. He was faithful. It's a challenge to hear, a blessing to hear from family. My dad did a funeral years ago, and the wife and children sat in a meeting with my dad in preparation. They said, If you say anything good about our dad, you're lying. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? What a thrill it was, not only having known Mark personally, as many of us have, but to sit with his wife and children, Becky and the kids, and the subject of anger to come up, and for the family to, in unanimous consensus, say they did not ever remember seeing Mark Sullivan angry. Now, Mark, Chris did say this. Chris said, frustrated. But then Chris said this, too. This was unique and powerful. He said he never channeled his frustration towards an individual. It was always towards the situation and bringing a resolution. I'm convicted just thinking about that. (laughs) Mark and I were talking about a book he was reading at one point. We would swap notes on Christian leadership. And he said that a Christian book he had just read, the author had advocated that a, a leader, a Christian leader, 
should by discipline make it a practice to say I'm sorry to someone at least three times a day. And I got to thinking about Mark. That, and that stamped me. The times that Mark would say, Pastor, I'm sorry about this. And he didn't even really do anything. I was like, I'm sorry. That's a measure of a man in so many ways. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you laugh? What is it that makes you cry? Are you willing to say you were wrong when you were? That's the mark of a good man. A godly man, a humble man. Mark and I got in trouble one time together. We were, I think it was about eight years ago, we were planning a father-son retreat down on the Green River. We'd gotten together, had an initial meeting and planned what the food was going to be and Mike Daniel was going to bring his cooker and we were going to go tubing down the Green River and we're going to have a lot of meat. (laughs) The ladies joined us Wednesday night and I remember some of the ladies that week, that Wednesday night walking in saying, we can tell the cooking was done by a bunch of men. There's no green here. (laughs) We planned skeet shooting and tubing and all these different things. We had a whole plan... Our anniversaries were two days apart. And in all the planning, we had planned that men's retreat right on top of both of our wedding anniversaries. His 20th and my 15th. Now, we said a lot more than I'm sorry after that one. Mark settled his account as it related to his earthly service. He was not perfect. But I will say this, he was purposeful in his Christianity. And his life was a life of preparation for the judgment seat of Christ when he would stand before the Lord. And what a challenge that is to all of us. He had settled his accounts as it related to his eternal soul and nothing would thrill him more as he watches from heaven if you're here today and you have not settled your old account than for you to settle that with Jesus Christ today. And then to us believers, the challenge of Mark's life as it relates to our earthly service, be preparing to stand before the Lord Jesus. There's one final passage that I want to close with as I think about standing before the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17. This verse sobers me as a pastor. The author of Hebrews says to believers, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. It's addressed to pastors, church leadership. Those are the ones that are watching for the souls of the members of their flock and The author of Hebrews is addressing believers. He says, They watch for your souls as they that must give... Do you know the word? Account. As they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. As I think about, and I don't know the nature of how it's all going to take place, but Hebrews 13, 17 indicates that in some way or another there's going to be local church identity in heaven Churches are going to be gathered there and pastors are going to give an account.
I have this written in my Bible, and I think I'm going to keep it there. Lord, would you please give that man, Mark Sullivan, ten crowns? My dad told me years ago, he said, son, don't ever be ashamed if you pastor men that have better faith than you do. And I can say this today. It's been the privilege of my life the last 13 years to pastor Mark Sullivan. His Christianity has been a regular challenge to me, motivation to me. And I can't wait to get to heaven and stand at the judgment seat of Christ so that I can give an account for Mark Sullivan with joy. Joy. Father, I pray that you'd take these final moments and use them for your glory. I just want to say this before I close in a final word of prayer, and we're going to sing at the family's request another song, and that is this. If you're here today... And you've got that question mark in your heart. You don't know Christ as Savior. You've got doubts about it. Brother Godfrey stood up here. David McGarity. I'm here. Pastor Capel's going to be speaking at the graveside in just a few moments. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as Savior, please do not leave this property in doubt today. Would you come to me, come to Brother Godfrey, come to one of us and say, listen, can you talk to me about this? I need to get my account with God settled. Nothing would bring more joy to our hearts than to be able to take God's word and show you from the scripture how you can have your accounts settled with God. Father, would you please watch over the final moments of this service? And Lord, gatherings like this, even as we say goodbye for just a little time to mark, stir within our hearts a longing when we'll all be gathered together in heaven around your throne. And I pray that the reality of that, the assurance of that, would bring great comfort to us in the coming days especially. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his death, burial, and resurrection is the captain of our salvation, the one who's pioneered. He's opened the way into eternal life for all of us that trust him. So God, may we ensure that our accounts are settled with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing when we all get to heaven. And let's just do the first and the last verse, okay? When we all get to heaven. Many of you know this. If not, it's hymn number 429. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His praise. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let's sing it. Let's go ahead and head on to the last verse if we can. Let's sing it out on that last. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the
people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The men are going to come at this time. uh, We'll begin dismissal with the family for the graveside just across the way. And if you can follow as the casket is moved over there, you can walk right across the yard and gather there where um, Mark's brother Luke is going to open with some remarks about uh, his brother. And uh, then Pastor Capel will bring our thoughts to conclusion from the scripture as we commit Mark's worn-out tent to the ground, but it's not going to stay there. Amen.